Thank you, TJ. It's been kind of humorous to me that Corey, every day this week so far, I, I think he'll probably meet his goal, which is to text me every day and tell me he appreciates me. <laughs> so. What is the most difficult thing you've ever had to wait for? Did you exhibit patience? What tries your patience? How do you think someone can get or learn patience? What do you think is the secret to patience? Those are just some of the questions I put together for this week's R groups. R groups are named with the letter R for reaching out to others, raising up one another, and reverencing Christ together as reflected in the icons behind me, the, the, the pairs of hands, because we all want to be inspiring Christ-likeness. And so that's kind of the, the emphasis of our, our groups, of our entire church for that matter. But I put together questions drawn from the passage of Scripture, and then those questions are discussed and lead to other questions, and that wasn't the entire list. But it is, brings into focus the emphasis of uh, today's message in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, and I thought it might kind of whet your appetite for what we're going to read in James because it has everything to do with patience and I do have some things out of James that I, I want us to appreciate and uh, that I think will make a difference in our lives as we apply them. So let's read James chapter 5 verses 7 through 12 together and it, it was customary to use the, the word brother or brethren, it represented the whole congregation, uh, men, women. But notice how many times he says brothers in this passage. It's really thick, and it's obvious that James wants them to realize that he completely identifies with those who are reading his letter, that he isn't an exception to what he's saying, it applies to us all. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also, be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no 
be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. There's a secret to patience I want you to know. There's a song I want you to sing. And there's a sermon I want you to hear. A secret to patience. It's said in one way or another, I've heard it said many times, don't pray for patience. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> don't pray for patience. Uh, I, I Googled it this last week. I thought, well, what would that bring up? And this was just one of a slew of things, but I thought this, if you pray for patience, the Lord will provide an abundance of opportunities so that you can practice patience. So according to the, that person or people who don't believe in praying for patience, they believe that God runs the school of hard knocks. But I think there's more to patience than we appreciate and I don't think God is just the superintendent of the school of hard knocks. Experts tell us impatience is triggered when we have a goal and we realize it's costing us more than we thought it would take to reach it. Think about that. Sometimes we don't even realize we have a goal but we're headed somewhere, we've got a target, we've got a destination, we've got an objective, we've got an aspiration. And when things get in the way or make it difficult to get to where we wanna go, yeah, that creates impatience. Another thing experts tell us is that impatience motivates us to minimize or reduce the costs. There's always cost involved. And impatience says it's not worth it. It's not worth the cost. Another thing that we do when we're impatient is we switch goals. We abandon one and go to another. We say forget it. We cut and run. It wasn't worth it. I'm not putting up with it. And the last thing I want us to appreciate about impatience is that impatience and indignation are explosive together. And you know what indignation is? Uh, that's when we feel things aren't going right. It's injustice to us, but to, very simply, it's, it's not going right. It should be going the way I think it should be going. And so we think that's wrong, and sometimes we think it's terribly wrong, and so we kind of, we even get huffy about it. Or maybe I'm just talking about myself. But we're most likely to feel impatient when we have other options. In 1980, May of 1980. 1980 was a very good year, but not for me. And in 1980, I was playing soccer. I used to run 
Five days, five mornings a week, start the morning off very early, run five miles, come back, get ready, you know, and go into the day. And during the week and in the afternoons, I played soccer several times and always on Sunday afternoon after church. And in this particular soccer game, uh, I scored the goal, but the goalie made me pay for it by falling on my knee. And I had a medial collateral tear. I didn't realize that. But I went to the orthopedist. He was a specialist uh, in the area, and he had a good reputation. He was actually the doctor for the Stanford Cardinal football team. So I thought, that's a pretty good recommendation. And I had a 10 a.m. appointment, and I got there at 9.30 a.m. And so uh, I was ready and prepared to go, and then 10 a.m. passed, and then 10.30, and then it was getting close to 11. You know, I wasn't just... uh, I mean, I started out reading magazines, but then I started listening to myself, my thoughts, and it was kind of a mixture, as I said, of impatience and indignation. You know, my time is just as important as the doctor's time. Have you ever said that when you're waiting for the doctor? My time is valuable, and the more I kind of thought through all of the implications of that, and then some other thoughts like, My day is going to waste, and I have a lot of important work waiting for me, and I need to get to work. So finally, after it passed 11 a.m., I went up to the counter to the uh, office receptionist, and I said, I'm sorry, I've, I've got important things to do too. Yeah, see a little jab right there. I've got important things to do too, and I'm very sorry, but I've got to go. No, please, she begged me. I'm sure he'll be with you right away. Please don't go. No, I'm sorry. You know, now I'm feeling like a martyr. And uh, I walked out. And then two weeks later, I blew my knee out completely and ended up with the same doctor performing the surgery, which began a spiral throughout my adult life of surgeries after surgeries for injury upon injury. And I've had six surgeries now, and I can't run anymore. I can't play basketball or baseball or football. I can hike, but it's painful. I can go uphill, but I can't go downhill. And I have constant pain. And why I remember all of this is because it is the biggest regret in my life. I'll never forget it. I'll never stop regretting that I was impatient and that I didn't wait. Because when I was there, I never once thought, John, in leaving, in, in, in grabbing some of those other options, you may be hurting yourself. That never entered my mind. Now, I've had lots of impatience in my life, but this is the one that stands out most of all. The secret to patience is to have a goal greater than any goal you've got. 
to have a goal that's higher than any goal you have. You have to have a goal of goals, not a goal that's good just here and there, not a goal that you keep in your wallet or your purse like a credit card and pull out when you need it. It's a life goal. And that's what is given to us in Jesus Christ. It's the centerpiece and heart of the gospel. And it is, I think, behind everything that James is saying because such a concentration in these few verses. Wait for the Lord. He's standing at the gate again and again. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord when it comes to patience and patience and patience. The goal that is the greatest goal is Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the love of God incarnate, is the love of God in action, is the love of God that we can understand and touch, is the love of God that transforms our hearts and makes a difference in how we see ourselves and everything else in the world. Have you ever read the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13? Heard it at a wedding? It is beautiful. And Paul begins by talking about how important love is. He says love is more important than his own life. He says even if, not just his life, but he says if I, if I sacrifice my life for something very noble and good, it means nothing, he says, without love. He says if I have all knowledge, it means nothing without love. All wisdom, it means nothing without love. Think about that. And then he begins to define this love. This love, which in Greek is the word agape. And do you know what the first definition, the first expression of characterization of love is? It's in verse 4. It's the very first sentence. Love is patient. Love is patient. There is no love without patience. There's no self-sacrifice. There's no putting the interests of others first. There's no interest in other people without love. And without love, then, there's no patience. And then what does he say? And kind. Love is patient and kind. You see, patience, and we know this from the New Testament, we don't think of it this way, 
But even the parable of the unjust steward, the unjust slave, in Matthew 18, you know the slave that is called into the, an audience with the king and he owes the king more money than he could ever repay. Think about that. He says, oh, be, he says, be patient with me. You hear that? Be patient with me. What does that mean? Have mercy on me. Show me kindness. Demonstrate a love to me that I do not deserve. And I'll repay you. I'll earn it, he says. I'll deserve that love. And think about James. Even he says, above all, don't make oaths. Don't be trying to pad what you think you can do and accomplish with promises you can't keep just to get what you want. And then what does the king say? He had mercy on him. And he forgave the debt. A debt he could never repay. Even if he spent the rest of his life in indentured slavery to the king. And the king forgave it all. And he walked out of an audience with the king with a, a bill of debt upon which it was written, canceled. And he met another slave, and that slave owed him just a very little bit, and he immediately said, pay up. And he threw him in jail when he couldn't, even though he begged the slave who had been forgiven so much. You see, patience withholds anger. Patience withholds selfishness because of a bigger goal the love of someone else. That's very important to understand. If your focus and your goals are all about yourself, you'll never be patient. But if there is a love, the love of Jesus Christ, the love that reflects, that brings to us an encounter with the living God, if there is a love that has touched your heart, the love that the king demonstrated, the kindness, the mercy that the king demonstrated that cancels the debt that creates division between you and God, then we must be one, we must be won over to that same love. Where does fear come from? Concern for self, concern for our own goals, Concern for not being able to get what I want or to defend what I value. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, John says, love and fear cannot coexist. There is no fear in love. Pure love no fear. Pure, unadulterated love. 
not, not laced with any love. Send it to the lab. Comes back clean of fear. And then James says, perfect love casts out all fear. And then he says something extraordinary in the very next verse, verse 19. See, they didn't have verse. He, it was just, and what's your next thought, John? And John's next thought is, we love because he first loved us. So you see, could you, could you be stingy if you had an encounter with the love of God? If you understood what his love for you means? Could you be stingy? Could you be selfish? No, you'd be grateful, wouldn't you? If you were a stuffy room that hadn't been open for weeks and you encountered the love of God, it would be like throwing the doors and windows open. And do you realize studies have shown that grateful people are patient people? You're more tolerant. You're more willing to, to wait. You're more willing to trust because you realize that you're the recipient of abundance. And you're more willing to suffer. Love awakens gratitude. Love, let me from my personal testimony. I've been walking with the Lord a lot of years, and uh, for years, the Lord's work, the reality of the Lord's work in my life, in the circumstances of my life, was all about outcomes, changing circumstances, changing other people. Now it's all about what happens inside of me. His love changes the inside of me. And when I act in love toward others, it isn't about the outcome. It's about what I did. I loved. And you know what it brings me? It brings me peace. It brings me, I can lay my head at my, on my pillow at night and rest soundly. I have a wholeness of soul because even though things may not turn out the way I had hoped or a person did not react the way I wanted or I didn't get the circumstances changed to my specifications, going into it, the whole thing was about loving like I have been loved which is as Jesus loves. But I want to tell you, and this is another part of the secret to patience, I have found in my life that the more I love like that and not worry about the outcomes, but worry about the inner product of doing the right thing, saying the right thing as best I can, following Jesus internally, 
after time, it changes your character and it does influence outcomes. It, it does influence people. It does make a difference in the world around you. A secret to patience, I want you to know. A song, I want you to sing. And since uh, tonight we're going to sing hymns here, then um, this will be a part of the contribution. I have decided to follow Jesus. You know that song? Though no one joins me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. That's been a really precious song in my life over the years because it, it, it forces us to strengthen our heart, as James says in verse 9, or verse 8. Strengthen our hearts. Um, establish the heart. And early on, I realized I have to stand with Jesus. I have to follow Jesus no matter whether anyone else follows Jesus. Now, understand, that's been over 40 years. Oops, did I say that? I'm sorry, I meant 10. It's been over 10 years. I'm not as old as I look. No, it's been over 40 years, and I've, I've, I've messed up a lot. But I get up, and I start following Jesus again. You know? My teacher used to say, put your head on straight. Well, sometimes my head falls off, and then I pick it up, I put it on straight, and I start following the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm standing here now because I kept doing that. And here's the interesting thing. When you follow Jesus, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. See, you don't come to church and get Jesus in the mix. You don't join the church and then get Jesus in the mix. You don't um, get with people and get Jesus in the mix. You follow Jesus, you get with Jesus, and then the other people come with it because they're all the people that got Jesus when you got Jesus too, you see? When I, I cycle on Fridays, Saturdays, and I may cycle this afternoon, I haven't decided yet. But it's interesting, you have a wheel with spokes. See, the, the whole wheel is dependent on the hub if you had spokes of different lengths or different strength, they wouldn't work. Could you imagine the shape of that wheel if you had some short spokes? But you see, every spoke, if I can push this metaphor, you and I are like spokes in the hub of Jesus Christ. And we are a strong will because we are plugged into him, not plugged into the rim. This song has meant a lot to me, but I'll tell you, it's, I've learned something about this song because even though it's a, it's a hymn, and I believe it was put into English in like 
1959 or something. But it's over 150 years old, it's story. And it didn't begin in an English-speaking first world country, it began in India. Did you know that? There was a man in northern East India. He had a wife and two children, and a Welsh missionary came through, and he heard about the love of Jesus Christ. And he and his wife and his two children became followers of Jesus Christ. They lived in a region and in a village that were headhunters. And the chief, when he learned that this father, with his family of course, had become followers of Jesus Christ or Christians, he confronted the man, threatened to kill his children. And the man replied, I have decided to follow Jesus. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Now he didn't say it in English, he said it in his native language. The chief and the persecutors with him killed his children, then threatened to take his wife. He said, no turning back. And eventually they put him to death, and in the process of executing him, he said, the cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. How do we know this? That's what I ask myself. How do I know this? I mean, his whole family's, their lives are taken. They didn't tell the tale. Who told it? There were no reporters there. The chief told it. And the tribe, because they were so touched by their devotion, that the entire tribe, beginning with the chief, was converted to Christ. Check it out. It's on Wikipedia. <laughs> it's not us living our cushy lives that wins people to Christ. It's, our, it's us living our sacrificial lives. And it's us living with a great hope, a hope that's even greater than suffering. Because that's the tinsel strength of our faith. And when that's exposed, you see the power. Listen, you see the power of the love of God in Jesus Christ. The love that touched your heart and won your allegiance. And that's why I have a sermon I want you to hear. Though no one join me, still I will follow. I think that's the message of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. It's not in those words, 
But what does he say in the very first verse? He says, be patient. And this is more than just patience. This is, this is wait, wait and endure whatever comes. Well, how long, James? Next Thursday? Ooh, more than that? Like next month? That long? Until Jesus comes. That's what he says. Have you, has it ever dawned on you that that's like, whoa. I mean, that could be until I die naturally or by an accident or I have to give my life for Christ. In other words, that's all the time till the end of my time or Jesus comes first. That's pretty amazing. What, what could actually get a hold of us to cause us to endure anything like that if it isn't that I'm living for him who loves me in a way that I could never deserve and no one has ever loved me as much. No one on earth loves me more than Shelley. She loves me in ways that just amazes me. Hasn't always been that way, but you know, when you're both loving in Jesus Christ, you grow in a deeper commitment and love. But that love that she has for me and that love that I have for her, that was forged by Jesus Christ's love. Our commitment to his lordship because there's no love like his love. No greater love than his love. And it is that love that says, I can be patient in all circumstances. It's that love that fuels us in all kinds of situations and difficulties. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, Peter wrote, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, we follow without dates and deadlines. There's just no exemptions to following, and that requires patience. Patience, we find plenty of. Love, we find plenty of. Kindness, we find plenty of. Mercy, the fruit of the Spirit. It's amazing. We all find that in Jesus. We follow without dates. And I'm grateful we follow without dates. What if someone praying in the 19th century, that would be the 1800s, what if someone just like me or you was praying in the morning and said, Lord, Maranatha, come, come quickly. Well, where would we be? If he had come, you see, he withholds his judgment for the sake of a higher purpose, a greater purpose, a more loving one, a more redemptive one, a merciful, kind, forgiving one. We follow without doubts. Doubts are created by fears. As I mentioned before, perfect love casts out all fear. These doubts lead to complaints and grumbling. 
And it's been mentioned in chapter 4 of James, the first three verses, 4, 1 through 3, and again, uh, 11 and 12, as I recall. They are constantly at each other because you're getting in the way of my goals or you're gumming up my plans or you're not moving the way I think you should be moving. I have a vestment in this church and you're part of the problem of it not being as great as I want it to be. There's all kinds of things that come with doubts. And you know what is really bad is when we let certain doubts unsettle our, our heart. When does he bring up doubts? When does he bring up grumbling? Right after he says, settle your hearts, establish your heart. Though no one join me, still I will follow. When doubts unsettle a commitment of allegiance to Jesus Christ, founded on the fact that we know there's no salvation apart from him. Where are you going to find it, folks? Where are you going to find it? What superhero is there? But Jesus has done it all. If you forget that, if you lose sight of that, if you doubt or question that, doubt will grow, doubt will grow, doubt will grow. And eventually, you'll say, this goal is not worth it. You hear me? This goal is not worth it. And you'll say, I have other options. And you'll turn from the Lord in impatience. Henry Nguyen talks about, in his book, Sabbatical Journeys, about some trapeze artists that he knew, the flying rudellas. I've never seen them myself, but that's immaterial. Um, you've seen trapeze, and when the flyer, that's the person who lets go and goes through a few tumbles in an arc, and then meets the catcher, they're, you know, they're, they're swinging together, and the, the flyer is in the air, right? And do you know what I would look like in that? <laughs> like a cat trying to grab something, right? But Nguyen, from his friendship, writes in his book, no, if you're the flyer, you never want to try to grab anything. You wait to be caught. That's faith. That's trust. That's what we're called to. Our options involve this. Faith involves waiting because we know this Lord of ours loves us so. And then oaths. Follow without oaths. Listen, this is about honesty with yourself and honesty with the Lord. He uses oaths because oaths, especially at that time, were often used to reinforce promises, just like we heard in my illustration from Jesus' parable of the steward. I, 
be patient with me. I'll repay you. And then at that point, somebody would throw in an oath. I swear by, see? And James says, we don't need any of that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. A father asked his young daughter to recite her Awana verse on the fruits of the Spirit. And she began, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and remote control. But you know what? She got it right. Because self-control comes through remote control, through faith in the Lord. Remote control works on infrared light. You can't see it. Infrared light in our relationship with the Lord is called faith. Faith. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray. I want to remind you. I'll be up here along with pastoral staff and uh, leaders, elders, deacons, and their spouses. If you would like to pray this morning, uh, knowing my life of impatience, might be a good opportunity for you to kind of trust the Lord in a way of new conviction. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Increase our faith and trust. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.